0: This is Michael Ostflank. Welcome to O-Radio. we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area, who has integrated different somatic practices into his work, including Rolfing. To learn more about his work, you can visit his website at www.cosperscafidi.com. That's C-O-S-P-E-R-S-C-A-F-I-D-I.com. Today's guest is Jonathan Lang, who is an Iraq war veteran and natural movement coach who loves helping folks find more meaning, health and wholeness in their lives. An American by birth, Jonathan has also lived, coached and explored in East Asia, the Middle East, and Latin America. He has been coaching for over 10 years and holds certifications in a variety of body-mind disciplines, including MoveNAT, Animal Flow, and Movement Origins. His training and facilitation experiences ranges from the US Army to adventure challenge therapy to co-creating holistic wellness programs with corporate clients. He currently is currently developing his dream natural movement lifestyle in the jungles, rivers, and mountains of Santa Rafael, Colombia. His ultimate aim is to create a dedicated retreat and research center for the integration of natural movement with permacultural, ancestral medicine, and other transformational psychotechnologies to help create the conditions so that more humans can live in harmony, steward the earth and explore the stars together in the 22nd century and beyond, or at least do so having some fun, doing some fun stuff in the woods. How you doing Jonathan? Excellent brother. How are you? Good man. Good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you. I I love your vision of wanting to kind of create this healing center. That brings together all these different technologies and integrating it with permaculture. Yes, sir. Before we kind of uh, unpack that vision of yours, which I, you know, I want to offer all my resources and my communities to help support that because I think it's an amazing vision. Yes, Tell us sir. a little bit about you know how you got into movement, how you got into uh, wellness practices, how you got into te- psycho technologies as you as you call them.
1: Hey, so we cut out for a minute, so uh, listeners, uh, please bear with us, and we're actually uh, recording from the middle of the jungle in Colombia, four hours outside of Medellin, Colombia. Um, I live off of a dirt path that's a half hour from the closest town by horse, Um, so so we have satellite uh, internet here. And it's a bit of a cloudy day, and when the clouds go over sometimes um, the satellite gets cut. Uh, but I heard uh, most of your question, Michael, uh, which was for me summing up what I understood was how did uh, how did I get into all of this stuff
0: right yep. basically excellent, yep <laughs> okay, a little bit of your story, Jonathan okay, so I'd actually like
1: to read something sure. and uh, this. This kind of sums up the why for me. How, how did I get into all of this? Uh, this sums it up from kind of the highest level perspective that I can give at this moment. And then we can go back down into like actual uh, causes and conditions and all that kind of stuff, right? Love it. So as uh, Michael already said, I am an Iraq war veteran. Uh, I spent a year in Baghdad as a reconnaissance soldier uh, from the end of 05 to the end of 06. That was, for me, age 20 to 21. So I turned 21 over in Iraq. Uh, I was uh, manning a gun on a guard shift for my, yeah, for my 21st birthday. I remember that. And uh, so anyhow, so, you know, being there, I saw a lot of a lot of death and a lot of destruction, and a lot of violence, and a lot of disharmony, and I also was blessed to see a lot of love, a lot of sacrifice for the better, a lot of selfless service, so uh, I could say in a lot of ways my experience there shaped me, it was uh, quite formative for everything that came after and, um, you know, I continue to integrate lessons from that to this day and then helping me, me, yeah, helping me, me sharing from my experience helps me, uh, to help myself while hopefully helping others. Um, so that's, that's a huge driver, right? Now here's, can you hear me? We have, uh, some, some juice being made in the background. Can you hear me? Okay. okay.
0: All good so far.
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's something that uh, I wrote out a while ago that, uh, yeah, it was just an articulation. It was an articulation at that time after uh, one, two, three, four ayahuasca sessions of, uh, you know, kind of my why. And it was an articulation of some some things that were going on in here that uh, are beyond words. Let's say here, there, everywhere else. Uh, but here's some words to maybe help. So I am driven largely by three interrelated questions. One, why were Justin and Santos slaughtered in Iraq? So Justin uh, Justin Jarrett uh, was my battle buddy in basic training. And somehow in all of the huge army, somehow we wound up in the same platoon that went to Iraq together. So that was, that was a complete... Uh, so-called random thing, just random chance, because usually somebody who's your battle buddy in basic training is going to go to a completely different post uh, definitely not going to go to the same platoon in the same unit at the same post as you after you finish basic training, right? So Justin uh, was killed in Iraq. And then also my other brother, uh, many people, many friends of mine uh, and leaders of mine were killed. But especially Justin and Santos, we, we had very close uh, personal relationships, even, you know, before we went uh, overseas together. So why were Justin and Santos slaughtered in Iraq? And this is me continuing uh, from the, the value system and the view that I had when I wrote this about two years ago, but it still holds pretty true. This is an example of the evil in people. So how? do I work to constrain this in myself, right? In other words, this uh, violence, right, is for me, it's in the relative plane, right? Everything is love, ultimately good. We're all everything and one, but we're here in this game of this human body meantime. So I like to use evil in that way, right? It's not this whole kind of, you know, you're going to hell and all of this. It's more of a, a very strong, powerful, and helpful word for uh, these situations where people are taking you know, power drills to other people's heads to torture them and cut people's heads off and all that kind of stuff that uh, we experienced over there. So that's the first question. Why were Justin and Santos slaughtered in Iraq? This is an example of the evil in people. So how do I work to constrain this in myself? Two, why did that Iraqi man, and we can dig into this later if you like, we can dig into all of this. Why did that Iraqi man, a stranger, risk his life to save mine? This is an example of the good in people. So good being the duality, uh, opposition to the evil in the first question, right? This is an example of the good in people. So how do I work to encourage this in myself? Okay. So that's question number two, constant contemplation number two for me. And number three, which kind of ties all of it up, is in the light, in light of the fact that my friends died, I live, and a man from the same people who killed my friend decided to save me. How do I work to constrain evil, as defined by the first question, While aiming for the highest good, as defined by the second question, possible in the world. So, uh, those are, (laughs) that's kind of a high-flown high articulation of why I got into all of this. And so there, uh, there's a bit. (laughs) What's the task? So what's the task related to that? At that time, I wrote this uh, almost two years ago when I was living in Shanghai, I will masterfully integrate ancestral body, mind, environment, health practices into a system to help people to stand up strongly and courageously to the tragedies and evils of life as a human. And uh, there we go. So so I'm still, you know, we're working on that. We're on that path. Uh, Continuing, continuing, continuing. So I'll let you, uh, whatever comes up for you, uh, I'm, I'm here to listen or any questions, anything.
0: So can you talk to me about the time you left Iraq to the time you formulate, formulated those questions? What was your life like?
1: Sure, yes. So I came back from Iraq and it was dark, I'd say. Uh, another way to put it would be dense. Uh, let's say there was a lot of dense energy, or in another uh, language, maybe a more psychotherapeutic language, there was a lot of, uh, besides childhood stuff, besides everything before the army in Iraq, um, there was a lot of trauma from uh, what was lived over there, you know, things that I witnessed. And things that I participated in and things that I was aware of right, um, which in some some way of looking at maybe those are all the same thing, but also sometimes our definitions can help us to even articulate things a bit better right so uh, a lot of a lot of density and I would say not a whole lot of um, not a whole lot of helpful tools for working with that maybe um some of the usual uh tools that live in our still still are pretty prevalent and pretty much the default in our modern society in a modern american society um which is uh, numbing right um a lot of well for sure um plenty of alcohol um <laughs> Plenty of alcohol, uh, just a lot of kind of withdrawing in general for the four months that I was in the army when we got back. Uh, When we got back, they don't just, you know, they don't just, you don't get out the day after. Thank God for that. Um, Again, God meaning something, something quite big for me personally, right? Uh, But No.
0: I I can hear you now. You're back.
1: Okay, good. So,
0: the last thing you you mentioned God, that's what you understand it. Yeah. Uh, Then you froze on me, which might actually have been an interesting time to freeze, because I think it gives the opportunity for people watching or listening to this to really be with the story you told to this moment. So, what am I continuing? So, you, you know, four months in after Iraq, you're still in the service. You use alcohol to numb you yourself out you, and other such things continue on if you don't mind
1: yes so you know as they say uh hypervigilance uh, was a huge symptom i was showing at that time too um just really aware i mean in some ways this hypervigilance might be there might be some aspect of that is that is, so to say natural from a kind of uh, archaic kind of tribal perspective too. It's something that we don't have to think about as much when we have outsourced our security to to so many different systems and we have so much uh, material abundance, so to say, right? Um, but uh, in Iraq, you know, one becomes acutely aware of how easy it is for things to really fall apart. And for, um, how important it is, at least in that case, to take responsibility for the safety of oneself and, and the one's loved ones, the people around one, right? So of course, you know, I came home and immediately, Okay. Yeah. So, so I wasn't showing up in that, uh, we got to the relationship right before it cut out. Okay. So I wasn't showing up there as I wanted to. Um, so that was my experience when I first came back and I got out of the army. Uh, I split with her. I separated from her. Um, and she stayed in Texas where I was stationed and I went back to where I was from in Pennsylvania. And there's a bit of a long story here that has to do with contracting and me getting accepted to go work for a contractor back overseas where I would be making, doing similar work, but making a lot more money. Um, And me at the last moment, deciding that actually a better use of my uh, time, effort, energy, attention, life would be Okay. Yeah. So, so we got to the part about contracting and me deciding to be the first generation uh, in my family to go to college instead. Did we get there? I do now. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So that's that was my decision uh, when I went back to Pennsylvania, and at the same time, I was still largely, you know, I I'd just come from Iraq. I was still a hard charger, so to say. So it was also good for me to work. I didn't need to. Uh, I had a lot of savings and I had the GI bill and all of that, but I wanted to work. So there was actually, my mother had moved to the Pocono mountains right before I joined the army. And there was a place, uh, a facility right across the street called adventure challenge therapy, which was a wilderness therapy program for at risk youth um, for, it was court educated. Uh, it was for teens from the inner city, uh, to come into nature and to, of course, there was a disciplinary aspect connected to that. And, uh, also a team building slash community service aspect to that. And I really lucked out because I lived across the street and because I just got back from Iraq and because, uh, they really felt that my experience, I was a lot like those kids before I joined the Army. That's a whole other story. Uh, that's another three podcasts. But uh, because of the fact that I'd just come back from Iraq and I was like, you know, I was really, I was, I was sort of say squared away in some ways at least. Uh, they were willing to, to take a shot and let me work there when most of the people had a bachelor's in psychology or more. Right. And so I did, uh, for two years, I did that every weekend I lived there. Uh, we would pick the clients as we called them up at different courthouses in the area. and um, on Friday, take them to our compound in the mountains and then we would stay there. We would live there all together. and uh, Six to ten counselors, depending on what was going on, and between thirty and fifty uh, students, clients uh, every weekend. And we did various kinds of activities in the wilderness. Uh, a lot of things that connected with my military experience, and then also a lot of the the fellows. It was it was all men. Uh, all a lot of the men that I was working with uh, were. Also more on this kind of uh, what we might call a hippie type of path, definitely into the, all different kinds of alternative therapies and all of this. And I was not, you know, I didn't know anything about that when I first started. Uh, but they liked me because the kids seemed to respect me. And I also seemed to care a lot about the kids, right? So, and I was, you know, I was the, the, the guy who really led the physical training the most in the most kind of squared away type of way, so they really like that. Um, and so I got to learn quite a bit, uh, and eventually I was also facilitating group therapy sessions there, which was pretty cool because it was nothing, you know, it wasn't any of my my training, but I kind of got on the job training from that. And uh, so I did that for two years, and I got my associate's degree. I, I was going to school during the week, community college, and. Just general studies. I didn't know what I was going to do yet. I had this inkling that I wanted to go back into the military as an officer. But I was really figuring out what was the future for me. Um, After experiencing what I did, trusting the U.S. government uh, in a not very much uh, fashion, let's say. uh, But still respecting the institution of the military a lot. And respecting what I learned from my leaders, right? So there's that kind of tension there. Uh, there was that tension, and so what? I finished my uh, associate, and you know, I wasn't really properly ch- trained for what I was doing there uh, with with the the at risk youth. Uh, so I, you know, we had a great time, and I, I'm, I'd be willing to say I've heard from a lot of people that I helped them. Yeah. And I'd also say that I, nothing that I think, nothing showed up there on the job, but I think because I wasn't properly trained in, in anything related to psychotherapy, I took on a lot of uh, the heavy stuff that they were dealing with, right? You know, you have a lot of, a lot of horror stories, basically, from what those kids are living. And so, you know, we piled that on top of me coming back from Iraq and never really processing any of that. And I just, after about two years, uh, when I finished my associates, I was burnt. You know, I came back and it was like, just go work, 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 no weekend, just like study and then live at your job all weekend, then go back and study and ding, 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 straight A's, all that kind of thing. And uh, so uh, I said, I'd saved up a nice chunk of change in that time. And I had this real burning drive to uh, go explore the rest of the world. Uh, That was a big part of what drove me to join the military in the first place. Not everything, but that was something. Uh, and so, I had this plan for the semester, the two semesters of the fall of 2009 and the spring of 2010 to go live in Latin America and study Spanish in the fall. And we have some geese here. Uh, they're, they're eating. <laughs> we have all kinds. This is an animal farm. Not, the, not George Orwell either. Thank God. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, 2009 was supposed to be Peru. And 2010 was supposed to be Shanghai, China. And it ended up being, can you hear me okay? Okay. So I ended up going to Peru and studying Spanish for that semester. And China, I ended up saying, you know, I'd rather go deeper into Latin America because I wanted to, I I thought the semester wasn't enough. So the second semester that, Spring of 2010, I went to Cali, Colombia, and that was my introduction to Colombia, where I'm at now. Um, I, I had traveled there actually. I traveled to Cartagena in 2009, and I would traveled to some other places in Latin America: Panama, Peru, Costa Rica. And uh, I just had heard well, my my professor in university was from Cali, Colombia. So actually, I probably wouldn't have went there. I would have probably been too afraid, or uh, you know, just it it wouldn't have been on my radar when I say afraid just you know you heard a lot of stuff about Colombia back then uh it still was like that a lot back then too um there were you know I would hear gunshots a lot at night uh but that wasn't also wasn't such a new thing for me you know I was already in Iraq so like but either way uh it was on my radar and I did go and that began a uh, kind of 10-year relationship that continues to this day uh, with Colombia. So uh, there's a lot more that happened between, <laughs> between me getting out and uh, where we're at now. But to fast forward a bit, let, I'll just fast forward. So after I got back from Latin America, I'll, I'll try to condense it, um, and then we can dig into whatever you like after. But uh, after I got back from Latin America – I moved to New York. I did my bachelor's at Hunter College, CUNY Hunter College, in geography and economics. Uh, the plan was to become an officer, but at the same time, I had been diagnosed in the meanwhile uh, with PTSD by the uh, Veterans Administration, by Veterans Affairs. Right? Um, th- did you still did you hear, or did it cut out? Okay, so I realized I wasn't, uh, that was, I love Latin America, I love studying people, I love the social sciences, Uh, I had, was studying geography specifically because I thought it was so, I felt it was so related to uh, what would make me a great military officer, right, Uh, from my point of view, and also because I was super interested in it, and To working in business development at Telemundo uh, for NBC. Uh, I managed to tie my military experience and my... Did, did you hear me?
0: I heard you, you're trying to tie your military experience and then I lost you.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. So I managed to, uh, with the folks at Telemundo, I tied my military experience, the discipline and, and all of that Uh, There was a big push in NBC at that time to hire veterans, right? I tied that with my kind of lived experience moving to Latin America to places where most people weren't going at that time from the States and kind of really integrating myself into that culture, not just being like kind of expat watching from the outside, but actually going into it. And, uh, you know, pretty much everybody that worked there was Latino. And so and combine that with geography and some business applications of geography related to GIS, geographic information system. And so the people, all the people that interviewed me kind of loved my background because uh, it was this guy who went into their culture, you know, in a very deep way. And, you know, I go in and I'm speaking Spanish with everybody. And it showed that I really like kind of did my homework, right? Like I put myself out of my comfort zone uh, to, to learn about, latin culture and that was really what being in business development at telemundo at that time was was all about it was going into it was going into multinationals and helping them to understand the increasing uh, at this time you know this was where i was at uh, helping them to understand the increasing buying power of the latin market so to say and kind of translating back and forth between these, these cultures, right? So uh, I did that for a year. Uh, it was great, but it, it, it wasn't fulfilling. Uh, I'll put it like that. I learned a lot. It was beautiful. It, the, end, the end goal there wasn't fulfilling for me. Um, so let's fast forward a bit. I lived in Colombia a bit more. And then I came back to New York. And I worked in a boxing gym. I managed a boxing gym in East Harlem. I had been boxing for a few years. Uh, Prior to that, I had been training people off and on, uh, both professionally, first friends and then professionally. And I worked at a place called El Barrio Boxing, and I managed it in East Harlem. It was a nonprofit boxing gym for, again, related back to uh, working with at-risk youth. It was primarily for the at-risk youth of the community. It was on 115th and Madison. Uh, so at that time, that was a pretty tough, tough spot. And again, a big connection there. You know, it's a Latin community. Uh, the owner, the, the director, the overall director of the organization, El Barrio Boxing, himself was an afghanistan vet uh puerto rican american guy from the community we clicked right away when we met and um yeah so i i i volunteered and then ended up working there for the year of uh, the middle of 2013 until almost the middle of 2014 and that was great as well. Learned a lot from that. Uh, learned a lot about uh, that community and related community, right? And uh, so super, super, again, integrating myself into a, just a completely different, you know, I'm from a, a kind of rural, it's sort of rural Pennsylvania slash small industrial city, Allentown, Pennsylvania. There is a large uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican Uh, population in those two cities so I you know I grew up with a lot of of kids from those populations who were my friends which is why I was very into Latin culture in the first place Um, but yeah that was a that was a great experience and at the same time I realized that training people in boxing itself was also a something that I could learn a lot from but wasn't the end for me um why because these kids you know it's similar to a rock star dream right to, for a kid to come in there and be told that he's going to be like the next uh, you know he's going to be the next Floyd Mayweather and that's going to get him out of that situation that he's in that's uh there's there was a bit of some of the trainers in there from the neighborhood for their reasons and they have their reasons there's a, there's some selling of some dreams and boxing tends to be as it's said sometimes Uh, One way of putting it, it's a dirty sport. Another way of putting it is that a lot of people who are in charge there uh, are manipulating a lot of the fighters, so to say. And it was just a a world that I loved. I learned a lot from, and I also realized that it was time for me to, so to say, in integral theory language, transcend and include, right? So that was what I did. Uh, I moved on from there. I moved to Shanghai, China, long story to this, but we can tie it back to, uh, you know, by now we're 2014. Um, we can tie that back to 2010, me having never gone there and moved to Shanghai, China and worked with, started working just as a personal trainer Uh, I had various certifications and I had been meditating already in Chinese Buddhist practices, which helped me with my symptoms, my PTSD symptoms, uh, since New York. And I got deeper into Chinese Buddhism, uh, Chan Buddhism, which is the Chinese precursor, so to say, to Zen Buddhism. Uh, kind of a very strict uh, meditative discipline, we could say, uh, really beautiful, uh, for me anyway. and. I started to integrate more and more of what I learned from that into my personal training session. And I started to look more and more at my personal training sessions as, as not just a physical thing, but something that helped people find meaning, find alignment. And dare I say, even find love that was starting, you know, that was just starting at that time. But yeah, so that, started me on this path of mindful and moving, uh, which is what I began to call my personal training practice. I began to uh, do wellness programs with companies uh, because clients that I had referred me to their companies. And I started to integrate more and more of the meditation, the spiritual side into my uh, wellness programs. And that led back over into the personal training. And then I went and did a yoga teacher training And then I found uh, that I worked with, I did various silent retreats. I uh, spent like a hundred plus hours and very short time in a float tank. That was a whole other thing. Uh, That was great. I started to finally work on my emotional stuff with a transpersonal psychologist who worked with ayahuasca over in China, in Shanghai. Uh, I found uh, the work of various, Uh, psychologist uh, chiefly in the beginning was a fellow named who you may have heard of who has uh, uh, some of the things that he says it might be controversial I think we're all complex beings but uh, Jordan Peterson I heard him on a Jocko Willink's podcast after my second ayahuasca session and that clicked a lot of things for me and finally let me really start to work on my shadow so to say, right? So I learned about Carl Jung and went deep into that and continued to work with my therapist and continued to work with the medicine. And so what? This, this, was, a, this was a 2017, you know, I'm bringing all of this back into my work with, with individuals, with organizations. Uh, also 2017 I found natural movement and uh, that was just the kind of a perfect uh, movement practice to help me to integrate a lot of these things that I I was kind of taking this from that and this from that and kind of putting them together I hadn't found integral theory yet and I was just kind of doing it in my own kind of way and it was working people kept telling other people go work with this guy or bring this guy into your company all of that but when I found move it was kind of a piece that really gave me a strong, solid foundation that was culturally uh, nonspecific, unlike yoga or, or, or mindfulness from a Buddhist perspective, right? So it was this kind of universal natural movement practice that then let me stack all these other practices up on top of that depending on the needs of the people, right? And then I found Integral Theory and... Uh, from there, Nye had a whole kind of overarching system for even fitting in this ayahuasca stuff. I ended up doing a facilitating a retreat, among others over in China, with, uh, with Pera Merced, who is the director of Fractal Change, which he has a number of uh, people that he works with over there in China, uh, in a kind of gray area, let's say, but it's enough of a above-the-ground area that I can talk about it freely here. In this sense, um, but yeah, we did a we did a we facilitated a retreat together that worked with plant medicine with his side of ayahuasca and San Pedro, also called a, more traditionally wachuma, which is a, a, a cactus that has mescaline similar to peyote, and that was his side of things plus the emotional coaching. Uh, He called his processes with ayahuasca the, he calls them the Amazonian emotional process. And then my side was using natural movement and mindfulness meditation as a therapeutic practice to help give them tools like I didn't have when I came back from Iraq to integrate their experiences with the ayahuasca uh, and all of that coaching and all of that back into their daily life, right? So... Yeah. I mean, we can, <laughs> there's so much more, man. That doesn't, we didn't even get started on last year, but, well, um,
0: so let me ask you about, uh, we can fast forward to your present location. Yes, sir. Two questions yeah. for you. Talk a little about your short-term work in Colombia with MoveNet and then mm-hmm. I'd love for you to kind of unpack your vision for this retreat center that you, you, uh, talk about.
1: Yes, sir. Beautiful. So, it, starting with with number 1 with movenet here in colombia so uh, i'm going to assume that the listener has some background of what movenet is i know that you've spoken a bit about it and also i'll quickly give a give a give a and sometimes i speak spanish all day Actually, I'm having the pleasure right now of speaking English, and sometimes I have to think of the words in English because I want to say them in like a spanglish. But uh, a quick summary of, of natural movement is uh, that there's a lot of ways of looking at it, but we could say from an evolutionary perspective, it's the way that our bodies evolved to move as human beings for millions of years, living in contextually rich, uh, constantly changing. Environments where we couldn't depend on anything but this and the people around us uh, to survive. And so uh, it, it's a movement system that really honors that, but doesn't necessarily just try to go back to that, instead, kind of again, transcending, including, trying to carry it forward. So, how can we take that learning and integrate that back into our daily life if we uh, do happen to work in an office? if we do happen to be 60 years old and haven't uh, moved much since we were a kid, or if we're, for example, in quarantine and stuck in our house, what things can we learn from all of those millions of years of human experience quarantine? Did it cut out or it's okay? We're
0: good. Okay.
1: So uh, that's a quick, that's a really quick, uh, Overview of what MoveNet is. Right, so I am. uh, I'm almost. I say almost a level three trainer, which is the highest level of uh, MoveNet trainer, which is the level to that that's that's required to give certification. Uh, I have a couple of tests left to to turn in. A couple of movement based tests that I'm still working on. So uh, in the meantime, working towards those tests helps make me a better teacher. So it's been. It's been awesome, right? It's been an awesome process since doing the MoveNet L3 in September, and back in the end of August, after a, a, a roller coaster of a beautiful, uh, horrifying, uh, love-filled 2019, uh, you know, spending time in the Amazon, uh, working with ayahuasca with the Shipibo, and uh, spending a significant amount of time in silent retreat. Doing my Chan meditation practice and living at the holistic, uh, the the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies. After that year, uh, when I came back from China, um, I spent two months working with Danny Clark, the uh, the performance director from MoveNet, who's working right now. Beautiful. So, yeah, in August, I uh, took a a little hiatus from the Omega Institute. And I, after doing Animal Flow L2 in Toronto uh, with Mike Fitch, the founder of Animal Flow, I went and did, let's say, a a volunteering slash co-creation of a place called uh, Sacred Acres Permaculture Research facility in Vermont, uh, which was started by Denny Clark, MoveNAT's performance director. And his, you know, he's got a lot of things too, but a big part of his thing is uh, looking, so he's, you know, he's the, he runs pretty much uh, MoveNAT on a day-to-day basis, and he's the guy who oversees the whole curriculum at this point. Of course, Erwan still it has his input and has the vision and all of that, but he's entrusted Danny to do a lot of that work. And so natural movement is his thing. Uh, and he sees permaculture as a natural expansion of that, right? Because natural movement is a movement system, system, which. hola baby. He's got a, a a four-legged friend here. Nice. Um <laughs> Natural movement is a movement system which honors the fact that we don't uh, develop apart from our environment. We are fundamentally connected with our environment in so many different ways, both here and now, and then, of course, also in all the chains of cause and effect uh, that bring our food to us, for example, and so on and so forth, right? And so for him, permaculture is creating a permaculture research site And then living there and then practicing natural movement while there. And then also, as you probably know, natural movement, a kind of perfect uh, movement training system for hunting, gathering, foraging, all this kind of stuff. And then being able to practice that there while also planting and all of that all at the same place is like where a lot of things come together for him. And of course, for me, uh, that brought a lot of things together for me. Uh, being there with him, I'd already lived at a, the the Temple of the Way of light down in Peru in the Amazon is also a permaculture and a holistic kind of integral ayahuasca uh, practice and uh, retreat and research center, right? So when I went and did this with with Danny, uh, we just connected on so many levels, and it was determined that I would come down here between the two of us, that I would come down here, I would represent MoveNAT in Colombia, I would help uh, the Colombian population to learn about natural movement, uh, I would uh, facilitate certifications here, and I would also do, which leads to your second question, uh, research on the ground to find out and develop the possibilities for creating this kind of integral uh, natural movement retreat and research center. And so doing kind of you know doing these things all at once uh, because you can do them in the same place if 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 I'm if I was somewhat organized which I was so I was organized enough uh, to make it so that uh, I came down here in October and We managed to organize a MoveNat immersion that uh, was, I would say, highly successful, and we'll be releasing some awesome content for that very soon. Uh, We did that in March, right before COVID came. So, COVID coming to Colombia was like a massive uh, stick being thrown into the spokes of this wheel of progress. Uh, But that's okay because that kind of going inward has also given me some chances to work on some things. Uh, so that's been cool. But uh, also us mm, us putting out the information about the immersion that we had set for March caused some people here in Colombia who had been following MoveNAT from afar, who were involved in the, the soccer, the football world here, to reach out and say, oh, you guys, you're finally coming to Colombia. I've been following you. And so a former professional player of the biggest professional sports team period in Colombia, which is called Atletico Nacional, which is the biggest soccer team and soccer is the biggest sport uh, who's now uh, has a strength and conditioning organization aimed at elite soccer players reached out to us, told us, how can I help you guys? And we ended up becoming fast friends. I ended up training his whole team in the basics of MoveNAT and we're working on getting them certified and so on and so forth. And he said, Hey, I have, you know, the, the strength and conditioning coach of Atletico Nacional is my mentor. He trusts me a lot on this. He already was FMS, uh, functional movement system. Uh, he already has integrated that into the strength and conditioning program at Atletico Nacional and MoveNAT is a kind of natural progression of that. So, uh, he he recommended that we go to their site, their training center in a place between where I live now and Medellin proper, the city. And so we went there, Danny and I, and we had a meeting. We did a little demo. They loved it. They said, please uh, let's let's do it together. And so there are some details, some contractual details that I, I won't go into at this moment. But um, long story short, uh, we went back again, did a bigger, longer training for all of their uh, team, and they're very interested in doing some big things together that uh, if this coronavirus hadn't happened, we would already be uh, kind of in the national consciousness, the way that we'd be in the national consciousness in the States if the Patriots came out and said, "Move nat- natural movement is the official uh, Movement system of our team, and uh, they also have this really cool vision of like connecting people with the environment and connecting people with themselves. And so, check it out. And you know, multiple years of that as the whole trainer team also gets, uh, let's say, keeps getting certified up the chain of certifications from level one to level two up to level three, and so on and so forth. And therefore, um, because it is the biggest professional sports team in Colombia, therefore negating all of this need to explain any kind of evolutionary rationale for MoveNet or like connection to the nature and all of this, which is beautiful and why I'm into it. But for so many people, they're just not there yet. But they are there to be like, oh, wow, Atletico Nacional is using this system to perform better and to have less injuries and to build their team camaraderie even more. Right. So, so
0: that's, uh, (laughs) that's, that's something that's still in the works. And so Jonathan, where can we follow your work? Yeah. About what you're doing now and then kind of see how your vision unfolds in the near future.
1: So with all of this uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, we're on a total lockdown here. It's, it's, it's a bit different uh, in Colombia, the way that they handle things because of their uh, violent, uh, the of violence here. Uh, they kind of, they're quick to lock things down and they're able to do that and people listen because they've been uh, conditioned in that way, let's say. So uh, we're quite locked down and this has really caused me to uh, look at at solutions for bringing what I do online, which is a positive thing anyway, because that's where so many things have been flowing for so many years anyway. Right. And so with that said, I'm still working out my system for being fully online. Uh, With that said, people to find me can find me at, uh, there are two good places. One would be my Instagram. That's very simple. If you have Instagram, uh, it's, the at the Recon John on Instagram. So you can find me there. You can follow me there. And then if you have any type of inquiry, any questions about what we spoke about in this podcast, uh, just want to say hi. Or if you're interested in holistic natural movement coaching, you can reach me at J A L at mindful and moving.com J a L at mindful and moving.com.
0: I'll make sure to include both of those in the show notes so people can uh, easily copy paste and put into their uh, system to contact you and or follow you. Uh, Jonathan's been great to talk to you. I I can't wait to see how how your whole vision unfolds either online or in person there in Columbia. Uh, Let's definitely stay in touch and uh, you know, um, and, and see if we can work together to uh, make your vision a reality.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It's been beautiful. I feel like only uh, well, I feel like we're just getting started. So
0: we are beautiful. definitely so. First of many conversations.
1: Yes, sir. So Take thank care. you. You're welcome. Okay. Take care. God bless.